Hello, and welcome to the podcast. This is Behind the Movement. My conversation today is with Leah Woods, my very good friend. Um, I apologize for not getting a podcast up last week, but there was lots of travel happening, and it was just not a, an ideal time to sit down at the computer for, for any extended amount of time. So here I am playing catch-up just a little bit. Um, we were in, we were in Boulder this past week. We got back to New York yesterday. Um, we did a workshop, uh, over the weekend. It was hosted by Block 1750 in Boulder. And I just want to thank every single person who was there for those couple days. It was so amazing. Um, not that Boulder isn't always beautiful, but in the fall, you know, it, it can get a little bit cooler and somehow... Saturday and Sunday exploded into these like 70 degree days. Um, so it was sunny and beautiful and everybody was having the best time. Lots of smiles, lots of laughter, lots of hugs. Um, so yeah, again, huge thank you to everybody that was there. You know who you are. Thank you to Block 1750. And uh, yeah, and thank you to Leah Woods, who is uh, my guest on the podcast today for helping uh, organize the whole event as well. Um, we have one more infinite play this month and it might be the last one before the end of the year. Of course, anything can happen. Um, but it's in Brooklyn this weekend. Um, that's November 13th and 14th. And if you're anywhere nearby, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, if you want to fly in from wherever you're at, I'd love to see you there. Um, yeah, you can sign up by going to my website, kylefincham.com, and all the information is, uh, is available there for it. Excellent. So, as I said, my conversation today is with my dear friend, Leah Woods, who I just got to spend a few days with out in Boulder, um, because that is where she is based at the moment. Um, yeah, Leah's a good friend. She's somebody who has uh, really influenced me through through many of our conversations and interactions and um i know she influences a lot of people who are in her orbit um and i just think she's she's wise in so many ways when it comes to to movement and dance um so this was a really nice conversation um if you don't know who leah is let me read a little bit of her bio for you <clears throat> Uh, Leah grew up studying West African, Ghanaian, flamenco, and Middle Eastern dance and continued to, on to study ballet and modern dance in college. She spent 11 years in the Bay Area studying contemporary and ballet intensively alongside the many global forms that thrive in that region. She enjoyed an extensive performance career dancing for Loose Change, an urban contemporary dance company. Uh, Nava Collective and um, Ballet Afsane. I hope I pronounced that properly. Uh, she also um, danced for contemporary, or excuse me, uh, contemporary Central Asian fusion companies, Butoh Projects with Bad Uncle Sista, and as a solo fusion artist. She is a transnational fusion dancer nationally, a hybrid form combining hip-hop, Middle Eastern movement, contemporary, and 
Africanist aesthetics. She received her MFA in dance and performance from the University of Colorado in Boulder. She was the first transnational fusion MFA candidate at CU Boulder, where she received her secondary emphasis in somatics and uh, tertiary emphasis in performance and culture. She studied the Alexander Technique, body-mind centering, and the Franklin Method alongside gyrotonics. As I said, uh, Leah is a very good friend, and she, she is a wealth of knowledge and has such a, a, a rich background in, in movement and dance. Um, she continues to, like, uh, like I said, influence me um, and provoke thoughts and ideas that I, I carry into uh, my practice and, and what, I, what I share with groups. So it's an honor and a privilege to share this conversation with you. So I won't waste any more time. Here it is, my conversation with Leah Woods. So what changes from the two hour to the like two day format? If you're allowed to say, I don't know, maybe it's a secret, but if it's not a secret, like what do you feel like changes or what, what kind of breadth do you try and cover when you do the longer format? Hmm. You know, it's more just like, more time to like present the message, you know? Like in some ways, like in two hours, it's almost like you don't get to hear a whole album. Like it's just like one song. And it's like, you know, it's like, oh, like this is like the thing that's gonna get all the radio play. So it's like in the two hours, it's like, I'm gonna like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna share just the one song that's the hit that like the DJs are gonna play. But like, once you hear that song in the context of like a whole album on like both sides of the record, like you kind of understand like what the whole vibe is. And to me, like, that's what it gets to feel like more. It's almost like I have this message and to me, the content doesn't really matter that much. The content is just like a vehicle for the message. And, and to me, it's more of like this, like mm. this approach where it's like, I don't need to present the message in one breath and try to say it all at once. It can be like, Hey, like we can really like lay the foundation for this message. And like, by the end, maybe have something that like, is a much kind of more like stable building and you've heard both sides of my record here instead of just like the 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 one hit so on the longer format like so for my from my humble experience um mm -hmm. of just a little bit of infinite playland like it's pretty full on so how do you do a whole day of infinite play like because i was like oh. damn that's some stamina, <laughs> you know, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. Well, it helps that I have stamina. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. So I can, I can, I can, Joe. yeah, I can go, but no, no, no. But I mean, I think that's the, the I, that was definitely something that I had to like think about because so much of it is like, it, you're, you know, you're the person who exposed me to the term, like getting out of your own way. And in, since then, like I've heard it from other people and read it in other places, but you were the first person to say like that, use that line. And like, and I always found at least in the beginning that like there's a certain amount of getting out of your own way that comes with just like the speed. If I kind of turn things up just a little bit and like make it a little quicker, like people can't be thinking, you know, and it was like a tool that I would use before. And, and, you know, this kind of caused me to be like, all right, well, how do I like continue to facilitate that, that, that place 
without having to like always like, you know, go full throttle. And, and now I've gotten to play with that. And that has also changed the dynamic of like how I, I, I present things, but also like the freedom that I give people and like how they want to regulate themselves. You know, there's a lot of this conversation of being like, I'll say like, Hey, we're, we're going hunting and I don't have timers to tell you when you have to stop and go. So like, you need to know when you, you need to be paying attention. So like, if you're feeling like you need a break, you got to slow it down, but you need to tell your partner, Hey, we need to stop this oasis a little bit before we keep going so that like, we can get out there together, make the kill and still have enough energy to get back and like, you know, cook and dance, you know? Love it. I, I was, so you were saying like time as a tool to get people out of their own way. Do you feel like duration does that too? Like in having a whole day, do you, like I, I, it's, I was just remembering this Buta workshop I did in at San Francisco in like probably 2011, but we must have done this one crazy walking and breathing exercise for like, I don't know, four or five hours. <laughs> but I felt like by the end of that, like you break through to some other side and it was like the intensity of the thing itself, you know, would kind of change through the hours. Right. But the duration of the time of being in it was what was like transformational. And I just wonder, like, does that become a thing in infinite play too? Like that a certain amount of hours in like the out of your wayness is like almost its own survival mechanism where you're like, you know, you kind of have to peel back some layers and because there's such a deep engagement over so much time, like some of that takes care of itself because I don't know, like duration is its own interesting tool, I guess is all I'm thinking. No, I totally, I totally agree. Like I think of like when I was in theater school and we did like, um, at least one day, but maybe a few days, like in my acting class and the acting class was long, like four hours or five hours or something. Ooh. And we did like, like, awesome. a, like one day, I remember where we did like a, like mask work and we had to go through this process of like picking a mask and everybody had brought clothing. So you were like grabbing some of the clothing that was on the ground and like going through this process and like the duration really mattered. Like it had to like breathe and like become a part of this world. And, you know, again, it makes me think of times where like, kind of what you're describing a little bit as well it's like you can have a taste of something or you can like really become like engulfed in like the world of it right and maybe that's kind of what i'm thinking now it's like oh like like a two-hour jam is a nice time to be like oh here's like a taste of what this world yeah. might look like yeah. two days or a whole day is like we can all enter this world together and like i can take you through the door and i can show you like all the the different parts of the world we can like navigate the map a little bit and then at the end, it's like, okay, now, now we have to like exit it together. And like, mm. it, it, it's, it's this more fuller arc of like exploring a world. And I think you're right. It's like, you know, by then it's like, oh, like I've, I've seen the things. I know a little <laughs> bit of the geography. Like I've kind of like run around a little bit on my own as opposed to just being like at a, like a, an exhibit, like looking through a window yeah. and being like, oh, that's really cool. Yeah. So I don't know. I think these things both are really great. I like doing both. Mm -hmm. I like doing the short thing. I like doing the long thing, but like, I'm seeing more and more the value of like, Oh, if, if it's a message that I care about, like the longer people yeah. get to kind of like soak in the message, mm -hmm. the more it might kind of stick as they like walk out of like the door of my world. I feel like if I went through a whole day of infinite play with people, like, not, like not just the two hour jam, but a whole day, I feel like I'd be like, I've been through some things with these people. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. We have seen places together <laughs> mm -hmm. um, in a way that would be like, very rewarding and um kind of reminds me of what like 
the transition that people are taking from sort of like, um, it's kind of happening in theater and in dance and just in general, I even think, you know, businesses are thinking about it a lot, but I think about places like Meow Wolf and, um, you know, the experience design world where people are making more immersive worlds and more immersive, you know, performances and more immersive experiences. And yeah, just that, that we're craving that. There's some way that we're so used to sort of the, the bell next place, time to go to work, you know, that kind of um, call to be constantly transitioning to the next thing that, that, that I think there's a hunger for immersion in, in, in that way, like durational immersion. And, and you see that in what people are making in theater and dance right now. And, and in, yeah. And even in um, art exhibits, like I remember thinking that going to Burning Man for the first time, like, oh, I always had this relationship to art where you stand back and you look at something on the wall and, you know, you like peek around other people and you wait your turn. And, and then there is this kind of other immersive experiential design where art is no longer like inaccessible, but you're allowed to climb on it and play with it. And you see that in like Meow Wolf and these immersive exhibits now. Um, and I think Van Gogh is doing that now, right? Where the immersive worlds and they're 3D projecting it all on the walls and you can walk through paintings, but there's this way that we don't want to feel removed, which almost feels like hierarchical. Um, we want to feel like deeply embedded in it. And maybe that's because so much of our world, I don't know, this is all speculation, but has become so screen and like, mm -hmm. there's not that experience um, of being surrounded and part of and in things the same way. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I don't know what that is, but I like, I could see a, an infinite play serving that purpose a, well, a day it, long, you know? <laughs> well, I, ha I have to say, and like, because you and I, you know, people who will listen to this will come to realize that you and I have like talked a lot. Yeah, and, uh, and, <laughs> we're buddies. And, hey. <laughs> and, 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 you, and you and I are both like the kind of people who like can like start like a conversation and then like, it, yeah. and, and then and then it'll end when the sun's going down. Totally. But, uh, <laughs> but um, you know, what you're talking about is something that we've kind of talked about, like in terms of like sensory experience, in terms mm -hmm. of like, you know, how we've become very like visually dominant, which means that we could mm -hmm. stay at the distance of things, but that's not really like how we evolved over time. We were like more involved with our intimate senses, like our hands mm -hmm. and, and our auditory sense, which is like much closer. And like you said, that's like, maybe we are craving that feeling of like, oh, I wanna be closer to things, but it's not what happens normally in life. Yeah. But then again, it makes me think about like, and you know, this is a, a compliment and, uh, you know, oh. <laughs> I, I mean it, I mean it really sincerely is like, um, you know, you're, you're I'm like, one uh -oh, of, what's happening, you know, but you are really one of the people who's like, who's really influenced me with infinite play with this mm. kind of thing about like the immersion and, and people feeling like they can be a part of something and not be an audience mm. to something. And that like, because you, you were the one who, who really kind of like, shared with me the idea of like the cipher, right? And the mm. idea of like breaking down like that, that structure mm. of like an audience and a stage and that only some people yeah. get to be on the stage and that like yeah. the idea that like, no, everybody, it's for everybody. Yeah. And yeah. that like that, you know, that comes back to me a lot and it's like seeped into what I do, but like, it's, it, you're the person who like really was like, oh, like this is what that is. And this is why, why it's important. And these are things that I had never thought of. Oh, dang. Well, um, you know, other people told me about it and it resonated. And I just think there's this way that concert. Yeah. So I was thinking the other day about um, 
about like what is the place of performance now you know what I mean yeah this might be a tangent and as you know I am that way so you can be like (laughs) rain it in woods come on back but I was thinking about you know um the hyper performativity of just contemporary culture with social media and all the ways that people are performing constantly in that in this weird way performance um, maybe used to be the function of storytelling or, you know, being very on. And now I think that, that maybe what's happening with contemporary performance and these immersive worlds and sort of the breaking down the space between is that we're so hyper-performative all the time that performance now maybe needs to serve a new purpose, which is to be real and raw and um, intimate and naked, you know, mm-hmm. um, and transparent and, um, no longer be the kind of quaffed, uh, you know, edited version and, and actually become the kind of the raw, the gritty that you get to see it all. And I think of things like uh, Buto and um, breaking to a certain extent, that, that cipher culture is a place where you feel like you have an access to someone's very personal, intimate practice and expression. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I just think that's such a deep need. So. Uh, I personally have felt very influenced by infinite play. So just so you know, it's going both ways. And, um, and I think it's, there's a deficit, there's like a hunger and a need for the unperformed performance. Does that make sense? Or there, there's a way that ritual is kind of a performance or gatherings are a kind of performance, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. but I feel like we're spinning those definitions because there's such a presentational world and identity has become so presentational that um yeah that experience uh, yeah is maybe we're needing some other there's a void there that we're needing to fill in some other way like an unedited um space of experience so thank you for doing that (laughs) (laughs) well I, i i've been thinking like you know I'm reading this book called No Contest right now. And I think it's something that you and I would probably both agree on. And I know um, when, I was, uh, when I was there doing the workshop, I got to talk to Larkin a little bit. We were talking about kind of like break, break dancing ending up in the Olympics. And, you know, mm-hmm. at, some, at one point in the conversation, he was just like, I just don't know why we need to turn everything into a competition. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of that thing that happens where yeah. it's like in a super competitive world, it's like, some people are the winners who get to be on stage and some people are the losers who have to just be like the observers. And I love this idea of like, no, 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 like everybody is doing it together. And in some ways it's like a a cooperative performance. Yeah, absolutely. A happening. (laughs) Yeah. Um, No, totally. I I think that's what's so interesting about like concert dance. And I probably, because I think dance, music, all of that is very much of the people. Like every culture has a form of dance that's of the people. It's not like, I mean, sure. I'm sure there's always someone who's like, you know that just really gravitates towards but it's like a shared language. And so, you know, one of the things I always have been drawn towards in dance is like the ethnography piece or the like, yeah, the folk piece. And I did a lot of folk dancing when I was younger. And I think it's because it's like this it's communication right and then concert dance like sort of and concert forms sort of select a few and then you know it becomes more um shaped and there's kind of different rules when it gets but I think one of the biggest heartbreaking things about teaching and like I personally love teaching all humans 
um, is yeah, that idea that some people get to identify as one thing or another, but I feel like, um, you know, almost every culture has a, has a dance that they do together at a wedding or, you know, mm-hmm. I would, I mean, maybe there is one that doesn't, but you know, I'd have to think, I don't know. I, I haven't looked into the Mennonites or like what the Amish mm-hmm. do in terms of dancing. Maybe they probably do, but I, it just seems like this way that the stage and the formality of it creates a kind of hierarchy in itself. Um, and that's like a big fascination of mine is like, what is that hierarchy <laughs> and mm-hmm. why? And then what does it do to our perception of ourselves and each other and culture and community and not, not to na- like give it mm-hmm. a value assignment either way, negative or positive, just to notice that it does interact with our perception of belonging to the dance identity mm-hmm. or not, right? Mm-hmm. So. Well, and, and this is like something that you talked about when you told me about like the idea of the cipher that mm-hmm. like it means that it's for everybody right yeah. and that and that you pointed out that like and you can correct me if I'm wrong but like the idea of a, like a circle and people kind mm-hmm. of taking turns yeah. entering and presenting whatever they do in different forms whatever it is is mm-hmm. something that emerged in different places oh yeah at different All times over. in history it's not like oh yeah it came out of one type of dance culture or one type of performance mm. culture like this was like a something that emerged in different places at different times the idea that people would gather together and and yeah. do some version of like a circular kind of group kind of yeah. taking turns thing oh totally i mean i think i think so one of my big fascinations with the cipher is just the idea that so there's this um theorist called homie baba who's a performance theorist person. And he just talked about the colonization of the stage. But really what he was talking about is the idea that there was always performance and gathering and music. And then there was this idea that people could come in, sweep and sweep it up and then make it a a square with a slanted stage. And then there's, you know, some people can afford the the up close and some people have to sit in the nosebleed section. And then, then we're like already kind of informing class and who has access to what. But originally, like, okay, so, um, you know, cipher is zero in Arabic. So and you see it a lot in Middle Eastern dances, just jamming <laughs> musicians there, people clapping in a circle, you know, hip hop clearly uses the cipher and, you know, comes out of that sense of um, not belonging to the stage or not having access to certain avenues of training or, or even performing. And so being on cardboard boxes in the Bronx <laughs> in the eighties, you know, um, hanging out with your friends. And then I think about like, you know, in Iran and Turkey and all these places with, uh, you know, transcendent dances like Sufi whirling and how often those will be people gathered in a circle around people spinning in circles, spinning around their own circle, that there's these layers of circles. Um, so yeah, it, sh- it shows up so many places. Um, when I was living in East Africa, like jams just happened. And again, like this is not a perfect symmetrical circle we're talking about. It's just the shape of gathering and space in the center where we center uh, each individual at a time, but in community. So it's kind of not individualism the way we may- might think of it here, but this kind of like communal celebration of the individual in relationship to the whole. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but like I, yeah, I've definitely had a like love affair with the concept of the cipher, especially because I've had my own like relationship of either feeling inside or outside or part of or, you know, distal to dance or movement communities or, and so I just think as a, 
yeah, I, I think of the circle and the cipher as very much like a, um, like you're talking about embodying your values in, in infinite play. And I think that form of communication and sharing embodies so many values without ever having to speak about it, like without ever having to put language on it necessarily. Um, yeah, it's doing so much just by turning the focus in a direction where we all see each other seeing each other, you know? Mm -hmm. so, yeah. And, and really like, I mean, we've talked about this again, like the idea that like so much of like what happens in like, definitely in movement and maybe you notice it in dance is like about like what you'll be someday. Whereas like the cypher is like mm, know. right here, right here, right now. Yeah. This is awesome. You're awesome. Get into We're it. Awesome. <laughs> We're awesome together and, and you're awesome yeah. right now. Yeah. And, and you don't need to worry about tomorrow yeah. or whatever yeah. you think you're going to be someday. Like yeah. what you're doing right now, like you, like you get to see like what you have right now and it's awesome. No, whatever level, yeah. you know? Totally. I mean, and like, if I'm being completely honest, I've still had all those same fears and thoughts in a, in a circle. <laughs> yeah. And yet there's this way that the, that, that the experience calls you to live in them right now <laughs> mm -hmm. and not avoid them or, you know, um, yeah, it's, it's really special. I, I uh, singing about the Dunner Krugen, is that how you say it? Dunner Krugen effect, the, um, competency wave. Mm -hmm. Um, this was coming up. I was talking to, was it Charlie, the trigger, someone the other day about the Dunning-Kruger effect. And um, one of the things I really love about um, the cipher is that there's a celebration of wherever you are on the competency scale. Even if you're in the beginning where you think you know way more than you do and you're like overly confident, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There's a way that, that people, um, like I think about crumping. Crumping is just as important to hype people as it is to be good. And the better you are, the better of a hype man you tend to be, something mm -hmm. that, uh, Alex talked to me a lot about, and then all the crumpers, the two I know, let me just be honest, the two crumpers <laughs> I actually know personally beyond, um, you know, are some of the best hype people and some of the most supportive people, no matter where you're at. And I just think that says something about the values that, that cipher culture or, or forms that gravitate towards circles hold, which is like, it's about, uh, it's just as much about your skill as it is about the community, as it is about your input it is, it is about celebrating other people and their expression and I just dig that after being in my own wave of like yeah just I think it happens for anybody doing anything for any amount of time you know durationally you go through these like love cycles through things I had a tango teacher talk about um the the like recycle reduce reuse pattern in dance but I'm sure it applies to everybody with everything but it's the like student ego apathy <laughs> wheel mm -hmm. <laughs> where you're like happiest when you're in student beginner's mind mm -hmm. and then when you start to apply all of your you know ego attachments like am I good enough is like why did so and so like whatever your stories your narratives about the process then you inevitably get kicked over to apathy because it's emotionally exhaustive and you've lost that special place of like investing in process and learning and like so you're on this constant wheel of being like right but the sweet spot is here where I'm just loving the learning <laughs> and I'm I, you know I'm not pulled by the you know the magnetic draw of all of the other stuff that that very human internal stuff and so 
I like the cipher as a space that says like, now you, wherever you are, be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's also the scariest thing I've ever done or anyone ever does. And still like all of your nervous system stuff comes up and it's like, great because it's a great human experience to be like, oh, it's all still there, but I'm at least moving with it and through it. You know, I, I think, I, I think you should read this book, uh, the, this no contest, because I think, you know, it's like, it's so much like infinite play, like <clears throat> being like an infinite player versus a finite player, but like, it really digs into the idea of like, like hyper competitiveness and how it affects like <laughs> everything in our culture. And I think that like, yeah. like that a lot of these feelings that you're talking about, like almost come from like the, the, the competitive competitiveness that might be like embedded in our culture. So like these oh, feelings, yeah. like it, it's like this feeling of judgment, like being better or worse than the person who's in there right now, or like, am, am you know, mm. that, like so much of, am I good enough comes from like, competitiveness you know like this yeah. idea of like uh competitive culture and i i don't know it's like you know he makes this really wonderful argument about how how far we've gotten by being cooperative you know oh, yeah and, oh. and you know sometimes i think you bring it <laughs> yeah. up you know you, you might bring it up to somebody and there's like oh but like if you're so collective then you learn you lose the individual and it's like well no the argument isn't to be like you know, everybody looks and feels exactly the same and is like just one mm -hmm. giant collective thing. But the idea that like the, the, the beautiful concoction of all the unique individuals working together is where like real magic mm -hmm. happens, you know? So in some ways, like the cypher is almost like this bowl of soup, right? And like people are kind of getting in there and like the soup is mixing and it's like the individuals are feeding each other. Everybody's learning from one another. Like there's a celebration yeah. of each other, like what a co-op, you know, what, what cooperation looks and feels like. But yeah, I think there's a lot of like these feelings that come from, I mean, we're all brought up into it and we can't like yeah. always notice yeah. it when it's happening, but like what it means to kind of come of age and, you know, and, and, and grow into a place that's super competitive and then reflect on it and then, and then ask yourself to do things that like, aren't part of like a competitive culture, but you still have like those kind of like, like itches in you. I always feel like the best moments, oh, for me, and I, you know, I know, I, you know, I'd be so curious what someone like Larkin would say, but um, the best moments for me when I jump in are the moments when I actually am like deeply in something in life, you know, like you've lost somebody or, you know, some, you know, and there's a way that all of that is so easy to put down and there's a rawness, right? And I think there's something about when we're most in our human experience or when we're most in our, yeah, the depth of our, ourselves and, you know, dropped in, in a way to the, you know, pain and pleasure of existence, I suppose. God, that sounds horribly cheesy, but, um, but there's this access to something else. So I feel like whenever I go in and all that stuff's coming up, I'm like, oh, like that's, that's this layer of life that's valid, that is human too. But um, yeah, I've just, I feel like when I, so when I grew up, one of the first things, so I did flamenco and Middle Eastern and West African dance growing up, which is very weird <laughs> <laughs> to come up in that world of dance. But one of the, the things I found so striking is like, you know, we would go every Saturday, we learned Ghanaian and Haitian dance and sometimes Congolese. Um, and if somebody died, the whole community would dance for that person. If someone was born, we would all celebrate someone's birth. If so, you know, and there was this way that, you know, whoever had lost or gained or um, 
would have a moment at the very end in the circle, you know, and that, you know, those dances, like I've seen some beautiful performances in life and I, I am a fan of concert dance. I'm not, I'm not trying to like say anything about it, but there's something about that sharing the like the residue of some, some deep thing moving through someone that, yeah, like you get, you know, talk about waterworks. It just, um, yeah, you see how inter interdependent we are and we see how much like we're there to mark each other's rites of passage and experiences in life. And mm -hmm. that to me felt like, oh, that's the function of dancing and moving together um, is that we can all be here in solidarity for the human experience of each other, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I feel really lucky to have grown up with that as sort of one of my first touch points in dance. Um, because then, you know, then later I tried to get, you know, at the time, and I think luckily dance has like worked to really decolonize some of this. And there's a lot of this getting called into question, but you know, at the time, you know, I felt like, oh, I had to go get training because I wasn't trained. And now I see like how colonist and backward that, that opinion of everything was like, everything is legit training. If anything, that was some of like my most beautiful training came from those experiences and this idea that then you have to go and, you know, stand by a bar and pay to have very formalized training and, you know, put something in your body. And I, you know, there's been beautiful work done in, in, in the way people are thinking about dance to say like ballet is an absolutely beautiful and legitimate dance form, but it is not the only, you know, form worth studying. It is not the best form to inform your body. It is one form that does great things for you. And so are other things. And I think I had a chip on my shoulder growing up feeling like, oh, like I learned these other, you know, these forms that were more based in polyrhythm and isolation and, you know, and thinking like, oh, but I need to go get dance training. But that was so colonized to think that um, only Western form, like studio dance training is real training. And that's one thing I've loved about movement culture is just, the, the ability to really look broader and say like, it's all super valid and there's a million different ways to be communicating or approaching. And they're all just based on your context and your cultural center. And all mm -hmm. of those are valid. Um, you know, my, the body my, is valid. My, 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 my continuing observation though, even with like movement culture and what I, and, mm -hmm. and also, and now when I think of you talking about like, I don't know, like, you know, these moments in people's lives and people and or, or in, in society or in communities where it was like dance was the way to kind of like mark the occasion, whatever it was, good mm. or bad, high or low, you know, celebratory or tragic, right? But we've grown to this place and I feel like I've, I've, I've been trying to distill it down and this is where I've gotten to, but what you're <laughs> <Okay>. describing, what <laughs> you're describing kind of captures it a little bit like so much of the way it is now, and I would say this is in, in this is in movement and and kind of what you explained, like in dance with like a little bit of ballet. People look at things and they're like, "How will this benefit me?" Right? Mm. How does this benefit me doing this thing? What is how will it improve who I am or benefit what I'm doing or my journey? Me, me. It's like very inward pointing. When like some of the other stuff you're describing, it's like the question might be different. It might be, how does this benefit we or us, yeah. right? So how does, how, do, how does me going and exploring 
this type of dance or this type of way of moving benefit we instead of me, right? And, it, and, it, and, and that might change. It might mean, oh, I'm still going to explore that thing after that kind of question is asked. But it might actually, once the question is posed, be like, oh, well, maybe I should go the other direction. Maybe that's very me and this other thing is a little bit we. You know, do you know what I'm saying? It's like there's, there's a lot of me and, and not a lot of we. But what you're well, describing me, in terms of in terms of like what what matters is the we. Well, it reminds me of the stages of life too, because you know, if I'm if I'm being really honest, like I think in the beginning of you know, my journey, like, you know, I did think like what will build me the most, but there's that the four stages of life. Mm-hmm ideas too like that in the you know when we're young you're supposed to be taking in and growing and it's about you and then and then you have you know your child rearing years and then you give and then you kind of enter into society and you you know and you kind of go back to an even larger so there's like you and then there's my family and then there's society and then as you get older you become this you know wise place of reflection you know supposedly um Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, you know, maybe it's okay that there's different phases of life for different things. And I certainly think like it's starting to shift for me now. Like I was in Top Rocks with Julio (laughs) uh, on Friday night and he's just the most beautiful teacher. And he's doing something really amazing in that class, which is he has like, I'm taking his intensive too. And there's two adults and then everybody else is a kid. And I'm really loving being in intergenerational spaces. Like I forgot how long it had been since I had been in a co-learning. Like I've taught kids or, you know what I mean? But to be learning with kids. And um, I think so much about teaching the kiddos um, and then being in this Top Rocks class, like Luca, one of the kids is, well, all of his kids are just nuts. They're amazing. Um, Mm -hmm. And Luca was like sitting there helping me work through this, you know, really interesting, you know, uh, floor work puzzle, um, down rock puzzle. And, um, and I was thinking like, what a generous kid. Cause usually that time is really for your own development. And it's our job to really hold space for people to have time to really develop so that they can be really generous and give. But it's reminding me of what you're saying that, you know, maybe there's this piece that, um, yeah that uh, it would be more interesting to, to, to shift to we. And I think maybe breaking has that a bit because of the crew mentality already built into it because the kiddos are so generous <laughs> to come mm-hmm. over and help and they're so brilliant. Um, and I've missed those spaces like when, when I grew up and was doing African dance where like someone would have like, there'd be a 70 year old and someone would have like a little baby in a pouch and there'd be like teenagers and you know, everyone doing the same dance. Um, so it's just been really cool to be like, oh, I miss that, 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 uh, yeah, that uh, intergenerational because, space. <laughs> because, because, because like, I think, I don't know, this is also like something that I, I witness and it's a hard thing, but it's like, you know, this is when I look at like, you know, the content versus like the message, hmm. you know, the content can be breakdancing and Top Rocks class yeah. and like all that yeah. stuff. And but the message could be something more like the message can be like one of like compassion or, or generosity or, or, you know, these interdependence, of, interdependence <laughs> yeah. and these, and like these layers of communication. And I think that like, you know, when, 
if, if, if there's the space and the time and people can think about like, oh, well, what is the message that I want to share? Some really amazing things can come out of that. Like when it's like, oh, like this, you know, this thing is great and I want people to break dance or I want people to, yeah. to African dance, but like yeah. maybe these things emerged as yeah. part of like something else, right? It wasn't, yeah. it, the dance is amazing, but this other thing that like yeah. brings the groups together and binds and reminds everyone that like we're interconnected or whatever it all is, yeah. that's, that's the message. Well, it's part of the way it's taught to speak, like speaking of the, you know, the medium is the message or the, the, the way, um, you know, it reminds me, I took a workshop with Akira Yoshida, like, you know, over two years ago. And I loved the way he taught because it was like, there's no such thing as falling and fucking up. There's just, if you fall, then you have to figure out how to do it and make it a thing. Like, how do you make the fall become something? And one of the ways I love that Julio's teaching that I think is really fostering this environment is that, you know, he doesn't teach choreo or, you know, footwork. He, he'll be like, here's a step. Now put it in your top rocks and find seven different ways to use it and seven different ways to get out of there and try nice. never to repeat yourself. And then he'll teach you not some new impossible thing. And he's like, and now link it to seven different things and find seven different ways to get into it. And I love that way of teaching because you can't get attached to the, there's a right way or I did it right, which is, mm-hmm. you know, very, very tempting fruit for humans, I think, to, to like, to cling to the, the, the right way, you know, mm-hmm. and I know that in myself too. So this way of being like, make it different every time, find new ways in and out is like, it reminds us there's a million ways to be, a million ways to do something, a million ways, all of his kids, it's like, if you go to jams, they all, they don't look like Julio students, they all look like themselves, which is the hardest thing to teach, I think because it means you're really fostering each person. Um, and I, I think what you're saying about we, there's a way that how we teach what we teach also helps us learn to validate everybody else's seven different ways of doing or being. And I think that's one of the most valuable things that we can do through movement is um, learn how to embody difference, learn how to embody respect. like one of the most important things that we have as teachers is not the thing that we're, not the moves, but how do we embody different perspectives? How do we learn to be empathetic? Like, how do we, to something that, you know, in dance, there's a lot of like, if you come from a certain background, you may not always, this would happen a lot in my like beginning contemporary classes. People would come in having studied in a studio for 15 years and knowing one way. And then the first introduction to a different way, they're like, I don't know if that's right or is good. And so how do we um, teach like how to see the brilliance of a million different things? How do we look at salsa and go like, oh, that's amazing at this. Instead of holding everything to the standard of what we know start to be curious about like, what's the cultural epicenter of that person or that expression or that thing. And I think Julio does a great job with his kids being like, it's all valid because you start Mm -hmm. to realize everyone's got 8 million different ways they're coming to dance and then they're making a move and a different body and it's just gonna look different for everyone, so. Right, and then we can can all feed each other, you know? Totally, yeah. and And that's how we like continue to like evolve with our like, creativity and our adaptability right yeah. and and we become cooperative and like 
that's how we come up with new solutions. That's how we, we, we create novelty, right? Yeah. Through yeah. like constantly being aware and like new observations. And that's by like, <clears throat> as you said, being curious and like welcoming, like the uniqueness, but as a part of something to like continue yeah. to feed each other. Yeah. And, and, and I it's like, a, it, it's difficult. It's, it's so difficult though. It's really difficult because oh, you totally. know, our, our, our culture is so like judgment laden, you know? Yeah. Well, and that's because we were, you know, we're, we're all trying to do our best and be enough and be worthy and be valid. And so creating spaces where like, you know, being there is already plenty. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's plenty just to be there no matter how old or, you know, what you're doing or what <laughs> is going on in your physical body on a personal level in a given day or at large like that's a hard thing I, I'm like the more yeah the more I'm around the more I'm like I think the hardest thing to do in teaching is to like let everybody feel valid seen and safe enough to learn mm-hmm. you know so that you know that self-preservation is really big where we get into a studio and in front of a mirror and then other people can see us and there's this like hyper performativity right of like we're supposed to be good all the time at everything and so creating spaces or or learning paradigms where it's like yeah it's automatically understood that you don't need to do that you can investigate and drop in wherever you're at is great it's like magical it's like it's an art and there's just a you know only I've only had like you know I've had a, a handful of really great experiences and teachers that are really great at that, but I just admire it as a skill so much because it's, yeah, healing for people well, too. Well, I, I mean, <laughs> I feel like, I don't know. I realize I'm one of the few people as of recent to get to take <laughs> your class in, in, and not, uh, and not like, it wasn't like a, I don't, you know, I don't even know what you called that class. Like it wasn't really a I called it someone couldn't teach so I took an hour and a half last minute (laughs) and just and just did what you wanted to present um but the thing that you're talking about is like something that you do really well and I think it's because you not only reflect on it but I think it's something that you like embody just because like you know we talk but you also do this thing and I do this too um (laughs) uh we're, we're both really good curators I think you're a good curator mm. you know and, and oh, thank and, you and also like uh which and it's because I think you're out there and like humble in the sense that you're out there exposing yourself to things that like you know and you don't know you know like yeah. when we first met you were we were it was at a Tom Wexler workshop in New York mm. and then like we oh. crossed paths again in like in Boulder <laughs> and like you know you're telling yeah. you know you do you, you, you know you get you, you put your hands on a lot of things yeah so when I get to take your class I kind of like see some of these pieces and then like Mm -hmm. see how you've kind of like added and kind of morphed little things and like put your kind of spin on them and I when we were in Portugal there was this Mm. we were talking about storytelling and this is something I've gone on to say now at pretty much every workshop I've taught since then but I think it's a really important thing is um you know in oral traditions when you would share stories what was it there was a lot of magic to it one is that it actually brought people together but two is that Mm. like if someone shared a story, right, everybody there would now have that story and they would take that story and then they would share it later in their own context, right? And books are amazing, right? Because I can say, hey, you should read this book. But the problem with the book is that like the stories don't change. They're always as they're printed in that book. Mm. 
right? So like you don't get the new context of the new person sharing it for whatever reason they decided to share that story. So when we were in Portugal, this young guy, when we were talking about storytelling, he was like, you know, we have this saying, and I don't know how to say it in Portuguese. Uh, he, recorded, he, re, he recorded it for me. I have it on my phone. But the idea was, <laughs> in English, it's everyone who tells a story adds a comma. Oh. Everyone who tells their, a story adds their new piece to the story. Mm-hmm. And I've gone on to think that like, oh, well, when we teach things, when we share things, to me, I'm like, in some ways, I'm just kind of adding my own commas. These are just stories. And I'm adding my commas to like, the stories I've been told yeah. and yeah. put it through like the message that I want to share and watching you, I see a lot of the commas as well. Mm. And, uh, and I, and I <laughs> like that. You know what I mean? And, and I think you own it really well. You're like, I, yeah. I, I love taking classes and I love kind of putting my whole thing together, yeah. um, which I think is just so important. And I think people always think that they, I don't know, that they almost have to come up with a novel story when it's like, well, it might be context and message and commas. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I mean, you know, I feel really lucky in that um, I have had, yeah, just, and I think probably all of us who are, you know, still going in movement have been lucky to have some really just amazing teachers some and, and some great teachers that were terrible teachers, if you know what I mean, like mm-hmm. some amazing teachers who were lovely, empathetic, and then some people who, you know, were wherever they were at in their teaching process at that moment. And you're like, not that, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> I think both are equally important to be like, hey, that's great, but it's not what I'm about necessarily, or that's great. But, you know, so I think learning in both directions, but also understanding that, you know, there's, yeah, for everybody, there's someone who needs exactly what they have. And so even if it's not for you personally, like, it's great, but been really lucky, you know, I think, like, clearly, you know, I'm a huge Tom Wexler fan I'm like he's been like a big um driving force behind my rehab like I gotta get well enough to go back and see Tom and Rosa because um you know that was like a big he was a really big um yeah shift for me like when I first moved out to Colorado I think the first time I ever took a Tom workshop was like so 2015 or 16 I forget it's one of those two years and it was just him and he was doing zen acrobatics and um and the archery and uh I was new in town and had a background in nothing like that whatsoever nothing remotely like that I had been doing um I'd been dancing for this company in the bay area uh two companies ballet Sunny and nava dance collective and they were both central asian fusion companies so I had been learning a lot of sufi whirling like durational Sufi Sufi whirling, which if you want to talk about a durational exercise, like whirling for long periods of time is like one of those things, right? Um, (laughs) (laughs) That is like an experience, you know, to turn for long periods of time. And they they do it like by rooting down through the right foot, like you had a little nail in some places, they actually do put like a little uh, stake down and you have your toe between it and you're like pivoting around that axis. And then it's the center of the heart. So you lean away and it's like, up to the heavens and they look at it like the whirling is just our own reflection of the cosmos whirling. So it's this kind of celestial embodied dance, just, you know, reminding ourselves that, that there's these bigger bodies that are also spinning, you know, that we're, we're just a little microcosm of the macrocosm, right? So I've been doing a lot of upright things for a long time and, you know, contemporary and I've been doing some other things, but came into 
Tom's world. And he was just so lovely at teaching what he was teaching. And my favorite, the reason I was like, this is my teacher, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. is he said this thing and he was young at the time. Like, I don't, you know, um, probably late twenties. I don't know, but he was really wise. And I remember we went to Kat's gym <laughs> he was like, we were doing gymnastics and I did not grow up in gymnastics at all. And he just said, Hey, like get your first 500 shitty rips reps out of the way. Like no one is good at the first hundred reps. No one is good at the first thousand reps. Like you got to get 10,000 in. So get your first 5,000 reps in 500 reps in. like, don't even worry about it. Just move forward. And that was so encouraging. And I loved, and I, uh, one of my teachers who's now in the Pacific Northwest at the, at the time was very similar, Rachel Bryce in talking about like the talent code, little book of talent. And just saying like, it's not really about, no one comes in innately with talent. It's your ability to ride the incompetence <laughs> long enough and have a good sense of humor in yourself and not need to be good, but be invested in growth. And the second he said it, I was like, this teacher is for me. Like he, he's saying something that is so, powerful for people, which is just like, Hey, don't trip on excellence. Just get your hands dirty, get in there, you know? <laughs> and I love that about him. So, um, I don't know how I got into that just cause you mentioned Tom, I guess, but that's very valuable for me is to see people who are like, let go of the preciousness of performing, being good and like mm-hmm. get in, just get into the process. You know? Well, I think that's what I, I mean, you know, when I got to take your class, that's like, you know, I've always thought we were like kindred spirits, but I was like, heck yeah, <laughs> you, 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 but you do, but you do that thing too. You're like, I know that you've all, it's almost like you've, you've, you've been thinking like, I know all of you have just been inhaling. I'm going to give you permission to exhale. <laughs> like Aww. here's the permission to exhale. Um, but in like a, like a full art kind of way, you know, like I just read, read um, the art of gathering, which is an amazing oh, book. Yay. And anybody, honestly, anybody who teaches and brings groups together, should I would recommend be, yeah. should, should read the book because like, it speaks a little bit, like I use the word message. She uses the word purpose, but like ha- being grounded in like a purpose means something, you know what I mean? Mm. And I, I mean, I don't know what you were like, oh, this is my message or this is my purpose. But mm. when I came out on the other end of your class, which had this like arc and had this feeling of like, yeah. I'm not just presenting something to you, like I respecting that I'm gathering people. Mm. It felt like it was like, oh, like it, the content was just a piece to like something that I wanted to share. It was like, mm. oh, like this is a, a presentation and with all the commas and with all the kind of like, you know, kind of celebrating each other and all the things. And I don't know. I keep thinking about it because it's just, I, I don't know. It's the thing that I like wish for more of, you know, like I think everybody almost feels like I can only do something if I'm going to be the best at it. You know, like you hear bullshit like that in the United States yeah. constantly. Well, do yeah. only do, if you're going to do it, make sure you're going to be great at it or you're, you know, do it if you're going to be the best, but it was more just like do this thing because it, it, it allows us to do something together. I don't know. You know, rampant capitalism has done a number on us for sure. (laughs) You know, I think it's the survivability. Like I think about, I had this friend, um, Vanessa Rose. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was in Berlin, I gave her a call. She was living in, she had just been in Portugal for a while. And I think she had just gotten to the UK, but she said, whenever I come over here, I'm just reminded that people have healthcare. 
I was like, what do you mean? And she said, people walk around like if something bad happens to them, it's going to be okay. And in the States, people are walking around like if something bad happens, it could ruin your life and everyone you live with. You know what I mean? Like, because there's, yeah. And so that, that mentality of like the, the fragility of, and the amount you have to hold up and kind of preserve. And, um, you know, like you can feel that a little bit in, in, and I think the subtext of things like, you know, that people are fighting pretty hard to, to, to float or swim here. And I'm sure they are everywhere, but, and, you know, I just, I just noticed that here that there is like the, the cultural messaging is very like, like you're saying, you know, earlier, like competitive in the sense that, you know, it's, it's hard out here for, a, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a hustle. And so mm -hmm. I think you, you feel that that, that sense of hustle comes with, yeah, just a um, upregulation of things, I guess you could say. Um, and yeah, and for valid reasons, like I think, um, yeah, like there, there, are, there are not a lot of assurances necessarily. Or if you have a lot, maybe, you know, maybe you just are in a different situation, but mm -hmm. I think um, there, there are plenty of people walking around without, without a big net, you know. And you can feel that in bodies and in the way we interact with spaces and how safe we feel with each other and in certain environments, just whatever we've come from, whatever we've carried to get here. You know, I think about that. I have a friend who's a craniosacral therapist and she always talks about like, the first thing you do is just, you know, hold, hold the two, you know, the sacrum and the occiput and there's all the fluids going back and forth. And the very first thing you do is just witness. You don't come in and try and change the body. You witness whatever the systems had to do to survive. Cause that's what it's doing. Our bodies are inherently intelligent. We're inherently intelligent. Like our, even our dysfunctions come from our intelligence doing whatever it can to keep us alive. You know, and I think that's nice is to like take these moments to witness and just go like, oh, but all this came from like intelligence and um, the ability to continue and to survive. And maybe some of it isn't super helpful anymore, but it certainly was, you know, it got me here, you know, so, yeah. Um, I want, I want you to, to, to share a little bit about like, uh, I don't know, like your last two years, only because I know, <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, okay. But, it, but it's, it's a story worth sharing because okay. the way that you are now, mm -hmm. kind of in light of, of, of like your journey and like where you're at with uh, it is, yeah. is, is, is beautiful, but like it's, it, it shows kind of like, I don't know, it shows a lot of things. So I want you, I'm just, I, I would love <laughs> sure. for you to just kind of like talk about it because like, you sure. know, it, it continues to fit, it can, to me, it continues to fill in the gaps of like, I don't know how you are the way you are, mm -hmm. how you present things and, and, and also like how your perspective is like evolved because you, you, you knew, you thought you were on one route yeah, totally. and the route has changed. <laughs> yeah, and, totally. And that was hard. <laughs> and, and you're, and, and, and you continue to like, um, in light of that, like celebrate like this route that you're on. So yeah, I will, I will, I will pass it off to you because you, I think okay. it's, I think, it, I think it's, it's, it's interesting. And I, and, and you and I yeah. met, I think like weeks before this change happened. About two weeks before. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. About two weeks before. And actually, you know, what's really interesting, Kyle, is that when you're out here on the sixth and seventh, I think I met you around that time in November, mm -hmm. two years ago in New York. So it's almost, it was our, our, almost, yeah, almost exactly. Yeah. It was like a couple weeks before Thanksgiving. So like, it's like kind of our friendship anniversary coming up. I just wanted to point that out. Yeah. yeah. We'll, <laughs> have, we'll have to have a serious party. Oh yeah. Very serious. Yeah. <laughs> Completely serious party. No laughing. Um, yeah. So, well, yeah. So I, um, yeah, about two years ago, it was like December 3rd, like pr approximately, not that <laughs> I remember, <laughs> like it had some pivotal impact or something, but I, um, I just, I had an accident. I was in a handstand class. I had just seen Tom a couple of times. He had been out on the East coast. I just moved to the East coast and finished graduate school and was like off to launch a career in dance in Philadelphia. And I was like getting on the bus, uh, down the street at like five in the morning and going to Gibney to take class. And like, you know, I was like doing it. I was in that very motivated, hyperactive way, intense place that I had learned to be in <laughs> and met you, uh, at Gibney, um, got to dance with you at Tom's workshop, which was great. And so after Tom's workshop had been reflecting on how much I should deeply um, consider working on my handstands more and inversions. And he had just um, actually invited me to maybe be part of his mentorship, which I like went home and was so excited about. I like was jumping up and down in my little apartment cause I just adored him. So then it's like, I'm gonna work on handstands and make this happen. And um, was in an exercise uh, with, between two people and um, one of them fell on me and it was a very awkward angle. And in order to not hit the other person, my right leg reached around and tried to kind of save me and did some, you know, amazing <laughs> feats of uh, joint articulation. And then the other person's whole body weight fell into me and I snapped and just remember standing up and having this like very wild sensation go through my whole torso and just being like something is deeply wrong and then true to form apologized to the person that fell on me which is a habit I'm still working on and you know was you know doing the thing that I think I learned to do in dance which is like everything's fine get back up the wall do the thing um and then went to walk home and was not walking well like was not walking well something was like deeply wrong went to bed that night and um just had like searing sharp pain, couldn't sleep, couldn't lay on my right side, didn't know what was going on. Went to see some doctors and uh, at urgent care. I was brand new. I lived in Philly for maybe seven weeks, had no healthcare set up yet, was like brand new off the ship, didn't have any sort of anything established in terms of, I didn't know anybody or where to go and was brand new and looking for work right out of school. So it was kind of in a very under-established, vulnerable situation. And went to urgent care and they were like, you probably just pulled a muscle. So you're probably fine. I sit, take some anti-inflammatories and very quickly wasn't able to walk. And then this escalated um, to multiple surgeries. I had six surgeries, five of them in 2020, one of them in 2019. And I remember after the first one, in the apartment on bed rest, I, I was so weak. I had to use a walker because I couldn't use crutches, which should have been my first sign that we were not on track with whatever we, sh what, what, what was going on that I was like, I'm not able to be on crutches. This is really strange. Like I should be able to support crutches, but, um, 
watched this interesting virus happening in the in China and was like, that seems like it could be bad. <laughs> what like bedridden for a couple of weeks. And then anyways, all this is just to say the medical system, you know, couple, couple, like a month or two later, I was just barely getting off of crutches, um, shut down for a coronavirus. And I was kind of stuck, um, you know, barely ambulating. Uh, and then there was no medical system. And um, basically I, I, it took about 10 months to figure out what had gone wrong, which is that my rectus abdominis and two of my adductor tendons had peeled off my pubic bone. I guess you have a fibrocartilage sheath there and it peeled back and ripped off. And I just had all this searing shooting pain and I couldn't sit, I couldn't lay down, I couldn't walk, I couldn't be basically. And, um, you know, and then of course, all the first layers of doctors I was seeing were saying like, well, time to, you know, switch gears and have kids or look for a job working for Comcast. Like the, the comments that were made to me now, I think back and I'm like, that's so crazy. And I remember uh, I got a PT finally lined up and we were kind of trying to figure out, she thought it was probably nerve pain because the level of intensity she just didn't think could even be soft tissue she said it must be nerve I've, there's no way this could be soft tissue this was before we had more information and I was like could it be a sports hernia because I did the thing you should never do which is go online Oof. and read and <laughs> try and self-diagnose but when you're stuck in these situations you know you're like I'm determined so um I was like, it sounds kind of like a sports hernia. And I was told, oh, no, 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 that can't be. Only male soccer players and football players get sports hernias, sometimes hockey players, but like women don't get those. And anyway, so it turns out I indeed, I indeed did have a kind of sports hernia, but it's not a hernia where your intestines, it's just when a bunch of soft tissue tears happen around the inguinal canal near all that pubic bone, all those attachments. So Anyways, um, that year was horrible. I uh, spent the first, you know, year out of grad school, basically pretty much bedridden and very deeply depressed and afraid and with a lot of negative messaging about, you know, what would and wouldn't be possible. And the list of wouldn't be's was very high. And I was having a very hard time because I had, you know, put my whole, all my eggs in the dance basket and just got out of school. And um, yeah, I was pretty devastated. So uh, that year was a very dark <laughs> time. And then there was all the coronavirus lockdowns. We didn't know anyone where we lived. We were brand new in town. So it was a, just a wild, wild time. So I was trying to rehab it at home uh, by a cot, like I'd move the coffee table and I was trying to figure out how to rehab it, but the gyms were closed. So I couldn't load it. I couldn't get any weight on it. It was kind of the worst case scenario. Um, so we decided this isn't working. Um, we need to go, we need to find Jen, who is my um, gyrotonics teacher, who I had hip dysplasia when I first came out here for grad school. They were like, oh, you know, you're going to need this very invasive surgery to like move, break a piece of your pelvis out, move your hip socket into a different place and then regraft it in. And, you know, like that sounded very invasive. I was like, maybe I'll try a couple other things oh. first and found gyrotonics. And then like within weeks was just like, I'm feeling good. And then started to really learn how to use my body differently and then was hooked and then never really had problems. And then found myself at, uh, and 
at B12 feeling great doing things. I was, you know, they were like, don't do yoga if you have dysplasia, but found myself feeling really good. And yeah, so kind of as a last hope, you know, we were basically told you got to get off movement island and I was in severe chronic pain. So they had me on gabapentin, which is for, uh, it's like a anti-seizure medication <laughs> that they use for severe chronic pain. And um, yeah, I was sleeping maybe two hours at a time and uh, couldn't lay down on my right side. Yeah, it was just very, it was, I had never really had an experience of pain like that. Like I, I think in dance too, like I, my relationship and ideas of pain have changed a lot because prior to that, I, I saw, and these are problematic things. Like I had very ableist things going on in my mind and I've had to really look at that, but thought pain was just, ah, people not willing to push through, kind of treated my body like a workhorse and never had an experience of pain like that or limitation like that. And, um, it was very weird because I'm a young gish, you know, I don't know, whatever young means, but I would present to doctors as a fairly healthy looking person. And it was very complicated to try and communicate the level of pain. So we moved out to Colorado in January because my gyrotonics teacher, Jen was here and gyrotonics was created by someone who had a very intense injury and was in a lot of severe pain and went to heal himself in nature and, you know, was KO'd from dance and brought himself back and then ended up moving to New York and helping dancers and all walks of life. So came out here. I remember emailing you, Kyle, and being like, I'm thinking of coming back to Colorado rehab. I hear you're there. Would you be okay with me fumbling around in the back? Like, you know, kind of doing very limited things in your classroom. Um, and you were like, yeah, hit me up. <laughs> so I uh, got here in January and kind of started from scratch. I was about six weeks post-op on my sixth surgery when I got here. And um, in the last surgery, they actually ended up taking pieces of my soft tissue out. I had such bad um, swelling and inflammation in some of my tissues that they had become cystic and they thought they weren't sure if they were tumors or what, but they were very unhealthy, very I have pictures that I'll probably try never to show anyone. Um, and so I just had pieces of tissue taken out and my adductor longus sewn down to the brevis tendon below it. And part of my gracilis uh, muscle and tendon partially removed because it was so messed up from, yeah, that's a whole nother story. Just the whole sequence of the medical pieces, but all of that was just to say, I like got off the boat to, Colorado and I was like this is it like we're gonna give it six months so my birthday is July 1st so we figured from January 1st to July 1st six months um to see if we can turn this around and if not it's then we will finally admit that this is not gonna work anymore and it's time to do something else with my life but I you know Zach was like I don't think you're really ready to give up yet I think we should throw everything we possibly can at it so I came here and I started doing um gyrotonics and found a PT, a hip specialist and, um, met Tracy, who's also been on the podcast. And she, um, has very much been in my corner, like with FRC and, you know, you know, basically helped me through some pretty big meltdowns where I would make a little progress and then things would just be so difficult. Um, and, uh, she just kept saying like tissue only understands the language of load. 
that's the only language it knows. And the best language you can speak to it is load. And same thing with gyrotonics. They're like, the best thing you can do is blood flow and load. And so, yeah, just built it up. By the time my birthday came around, um, I was well past what I thought I would be doing. Well past, still in a significant amount of pain, but much higher function. And then, um, yeah, I mean, it's wild. Like I would say even just the last two weeks, I've been back in contemporary class. And I would say the last two weeks are the first two weeks that I feel no pain after dance. So it's been this long, gradual, slow climb out of pain. And it really taught, I just learned so much about what people are going through with chronic pain and um, and ableism in the movement and dance world and just, you know, all these pieces that I had taken for granted. Um, and it totally changed my relationship to my body because, you know, before it was like something that I needed to boss around and owed me things. You know, it, it owed me ability. It's kind of how I, you know, and I leaned on it for my entire income. And so having that taken away and then sort of rebuilding it, like I, we just have such a I just have such a different relationship to it and such a different understanding of, um, of yeah, just the pressure I had put on it to begin with, I think. And some of the paradigms I was thinking through and it's interesting, like, you know, I have moments now where I feel stronger than ever, um, which I shouldn't because, you know, I'm sure if we were to measure it, uh, you could, there would be deficits side to side, but, um, you know, I was lucky to find some doctors out here who are like, helped counteract some of the scary messaging I had the first year, which is like, you don't need to be symmetrical. You're not symmetrical. Your liver's on one side, your heart's on another side. You know, you're, it's okay to be asymmetrical. You don't need that. Cause I was thinking of the ballet paradigm, you know, and just terrified of what it would mean. And um, just like re devastated. Re re redefining, redefining perfection. Yeah. And they were like, and, may, and, 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 and maybe yeah. properly defining it. Yeah. Well, and it, it was really great. Cause I, I, you know, I had some great doctors say like, your body has more than it will ever need to do. Like you were born with an excess of the things you need and, and you have more than enough to deal with this. And it took really, I think the biggest shift was mental and emotional because now like getting to this side of it now, where I have no perceivable flexibility deficit side to side very, very, very almost imperceivable strength deficit. And to, I question whether that was not already there to begin with. Like if, you know, we always have a side that's like mm -hmm. the fun side. Mm -hmm. um, but the biggest change was just like going from having this belief that the body needs to be perfect. Um, then all of a sudden to realizing it's more perfect than we could ever understand. Like the fact that I never thought I could get out of that much pain. Like I never thought it would be possible. And then sitting here feeling in some places better than I've ever felt um, because of the, because it's demanded so much consistency and it's really taught me how to put four hours a day towards a variety of different inputs um, respectfully and thoughtfully. Um, but it's like so much more perfect than we can imagine. Like the fact that um, you can, people give birth and then get up and move six weeks later. It's crazy what, what the body does. And if anything, I just feel like I have more faith than ever in bodies and in my body, because 
before I thought it was so fragile. And then I had this instance where I, I saw that it was fragile, but now I feel stronger than I ever did. And I'm getting some of the bravery back. Um, even just in the last couple of weeks, like a little bit more bravery. And, and in a way it makes me feel strangely more confident because I realize how much a body can overcome. And the messaging before was like, you know, if you break something, then you have to replace it or if something goes wrong. Like, you know, you only get one body, which is super true. And it's ability to adapt is like beyond anything. I think I understood before. Um, and so, yeah. And it's of course, like, like anything like that, you know, it changed everything because I didn't get to go to the East coast and do the dance thing. And then the whole pandemic happened anyways. And now I'm very much like in this interesting straddle of different movement things, but, um, but, you know, I am dancing again, which is a really wild, I mean, when you saw me over the summer too, like I still, even at movement camp was still like working through the stuff, you know, and I just thought I would always be working through the stuff. And the farther I go, the, the less stuff there is and the more, and I just wonder like, remember the last time I saw my orthopedist, this was wild. He was like, there's nothing more I can do for me, for you you're like beyond our hands now. And then I went and saw my physiatrist. who's this like lovely older gentleman um, who, you know, went to check. I have, you know, all sorts of interesting scar tissue and the, the landscape is very wild and I have a lot of incisional scars. And so he was looking at it and he said, you know, I didn't want to tell you this when I met you in January, but I didn't know if you would ever be asymptomatic. Like I knew you'd be okay and you'd get more functional, but I didn't know if you'd ever be asymptomatic. And he was like, he's like, I have no doubt in my mind now, not, not a doubt in my mind that you're going to get all the way and beyond. Um, and like, and that's really exciting. Cause then I have someone to tell other people about, and I always get excited when I have these moments and, um, and, you know, Samantha Emanuel, who you had on the podcast was one of those stories for me, <laughs> you know, I needed those stories too, to, to believe in a different narrative in the kind of hardest parts where horrible things happen, unfortunate things happen. And then the body somehow goes on to have two children and teach and move. And so, and I had a, a friend that was a aerialist. This is a crazy story. I think I've told you this one, Kyle, but she was in a, a duet trapeze act and her partner fell and stepped on her sacrum and it dislocated it and cracked two of her lumbar vertebra um and she was a she lost all pelvic floor control she was a mess she said she was in bed for six months just trying to isolate her multifidi in bed mm -hmm. like can I and then by the time I met her she was full-on teaching contortion again and wow. she said she had made gains like gains, like gotten better. And it had taken about two years. And here I am at the two year mark. And I was, I was like, oh, it's just time and consistency. It's crazy what that does. Um, so I have, I have two questions. Yeah. The first one is, they're two actually, they're not, they're two different questions, but I'm going to just That's throw great. them out there before <laughs> okay. I forget. <laughs> okay. um, because I know you can handle it. The first is, because you talked about like, you know, the trajectory of your journey in 2019. Yeah. 
And now yeah. <laughs> you've been through this thing and and yeah. you're and the journey has continued, but it's been like a, a different kind of mountain different than you journey. thought you were gonna climb. Yeah. Um what what direction do you find yourself kind of like aimed in now? Yeah. And um I never got to take a class from you before the injury. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally but I got cool. to take I got to take it after after, like pretty deep after. And I'm curious how going through this has like influenced what you present, how you present, um, mm-hmm. what you wish to present, oh, right, yeah. okay. in, in that format as well. Mm. Okay. Okay, so the first one was, what am I, now that I've done that, yeah. Um, what do I, where am I at since the, the dance trajectory shifted? What does it look like now? Um, well, it's interesting. Like, you know, there was a moment when in the depths of it, I said, if I could take Tai Chi, like I would be okay. If I could just do like Qigong, if mm-hmm. I could, um, you know, I'd go back to Sufi whirling since it's not a lot of abduction. Like if I could do any of the things that would be enough. <laughs> and then, and then as I've, as enough, the barometer has moved back. Like, um, I think what I find myself most invested in and what has come to serve me the most is like concert dance was a very hard relationship because, um, you know, I think there's more of an ideal around perfection and some of and some of that world. So what I noticed, and in a weird way, the world kind of, you know, you don't get what you want or you think you want, you get what you need. I think it's very interesting that when I got back here, the first thing that showed up for me was street dance. Like the very first thing. And I'm not a hip hop head traditionally in there. I just want to name that like, that is such a deep body of powerful, um, movement and culture and in resistance to so many things. And I feel like so honored to be a guest in that house. And I'm very much a guest in the hip hop house, but it has so um, lovingly opened its arms to me and supported me. Like Larkin's classes on Thursday night were like kind of a resuscitation, like being able to take those classes was so like valuable for me because it he reassigned me some creative freedom and agency with a lot of the way he teaches, you know, his concepts of freestyle um, and the way he opened up about how he had, you know, he was at a jam one year, like where he, his knee was in something, he was on crutches, his arm was in a sling and he's like, something's gonna need to change to make this sustainable for myself. So he very much let me be in those rooms, like asking that question about what is sustainable for myself and what, what is valuable in it? You know, I grew up doing a lot more of like the isolation tracing waving work was like my home in dance. So to return to that and feel like that's a place where, you know, maybe in Western concert dance, there's a, there's a lot of um, interest and in big shaping of space and distal edges and length and, and athleticism and in a lot of, um, you know, Africanist aesthetics and, and Middle Eastern and then hip hop, uh, which comes from those aesthetics, you know, it's a, it's like a part of that lineage, you know, it borrows from the African 
aesthetics and Brenda Dixon Gothschild writes a great article on the characteristics of Africanist dance and how much we borrowed from that and how much even concert dances borrowed, whether it's been honest about that or not, <laughs> hasn't been, um, from the African aesthetics. And one of the most wonderful things is that this is an area of communication with all of its subtlety um, and brilliance. And that that's a place that I could kind of return to. And now as I'm climbing farther and farther out of, out of it, I just find that it's the cipher forms. Like I find I'm really drawn to capoeira and really drawn to learning breaking, cannot break, but enjoy mm. the process of learning it um, and house and these relational forms that are very much about a unique body's journey and voice in the space of community. Um, and so I don't know if I'll be back on a concert stage again, um, but I have found so much welcoming in this, in the body I'm now in and all of its context in those um, spaces. And uh, I just, it, in a weird way, it's like a full circle. Like I started, you know, flamenco is also very individual and it's got a lot of rhythm and same with Middle Eastern dance. Like when I was in my twenties, I danced in Moroccan clubs. Uh, that was one of the things I did for a living is like half hour sets, two of them a night, Saturdays, Sundays, sometimes Fridays if people needed. And, um, you know, it's a half hour of basically dinner theater entertainment. And um, yeah, I, uh, so I find this really interesting kind of return back to something because I did all the concert stuff and like added that layer on and then find myself kind of back in, in the, in the circle again. Mm. And, you know, and I'm, and I'm cognizant of appropriation and I'm cognizant of the fact that I'm a, you know, white American woman and that I have been very fortunate to have those spaces and cultures and practices opened up to me. And I'm also aware of what it means to participate them or I try and continually be more and more aware because I'm sure there's layers that, um, but I just, you know, feel so grateful that I've had those communities show up to open their arms to, to me. And I think it has meant the entire world and more um, and I just, yeah, feel so much gratitude and love for, for these forms that were, um, you know, that were actually created for, for people who, um, you know, were not included and the fact that they would include so generously people who've had access to so much is, is just really powerful. And, um, and I think about the roots of hip hop culture, you know, peace, love and having fun. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's been a nice way to come home to dance and movement. And I just feel like a very grateful learner of mm -hmm. a culture that has um, so much to offer and teach and, and uh, reflect back to everybody about, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, and I think it's interesting because I thought, you know, hip hop is so that, and that's a huge umbrella statement. Hip hop is a huge umbrella. So um, not to generalize, but uh, there's so, some incredible, just unbelievable movers and abilities in that world. And the fact that it has made space for, it just feels like, I, I feel like the concert space I was coming from could learn so much from that. And not just aesthetically, just in every way. Um, 
and yes, hip hop forms are on concert stages now, which is awesome. So, mm-hmm. but just that's a, uh, you know, like Renning Harris Company, and you know, those are steps that have happened, but I hope continue to happen because I think the value there is so important. And um, and your and your teaching, how is it? How is it? How is it <laughs> yeah. affected? It? Oh yeah, I mean, you know, I I taught. I started teaching full time in like 2011, like for a living. And then the, that, that was the only year I wasn't really just teaching for a living. And it was the hardest year of my life because if anything, I, I love, I love teaching and I love learning of the three, like performing is great, but I really love learning and teaching, <laughs> you know, those are, mm-hmm. and performing is like, sure. Um, but in teaching, you know, it's interesting. I just, I started teaching probably in May again, first gyrotonics. And that was very immediately powerful because, you know, before when I taught the method, I was teaching it as someone who was like, this is helping me dance and perform. And this is helping me improve. And then coming back, I was like, this is, you know, deeply saved me (laughs) in a different Mm -hmm. way. Like this is something that I've walked through in a way that, um, that now I feel like is so valuable because I have people coming in from spinal fusion surgeries. I have people who, um, you know, have been in pain for a really, really long time. I have people, you know, and I'm able to sit in that so differently now because I didn't have that experience before and having had the experience of feeling like you'll never, ever be out of pain again. Like this is your life. And then knowing that that there are steps that can be walked walk through and that there's a lot that those steps ask, of course, um, and that they're, they're multi-faceted. They're not just physical. Sometimes there are other pieces too. In fact, most of the time it's only partially physical. Um, it's a lot of things, but has changed the way I sit with people because, and I had a teacher tell me this when I was in the middle of all of that, this amazing teacher, Emma, um, saw me when I could barely walk and was struggling and, you know, helped me in ways I cannot ever think enough. You know, we are so lucky sometimes in life to have the people that show up, show up in the, in the darkest (laughs) crevices of life. And she told me one time in the lockdowns when it was just really heavy and I was having a really hard time, um, just in a lot of pain and kind of trying everything, but very limited in what we could do. She said, someday, (laughs) she's like, you're being initiated into a different path and she's like and someday someone's gonna be in so much pain they're gonna want to die and they're gonna end up in your you're gonna end up in each other's worlds and you're gonna be one of the only people who can sit there being like you can do this like because you've been there you know what I mean so that has changed a lot feeling like I can really sit with people now um and uh, and yeah just know what it is to sit with someone in those really difficult sensations um because I had someone do it for me and so I realized that there's a portion of teaching that's about the physical piece and then it's really illuminated for me there's a portion of it that is just advocating for someone's quality of life and telling them you care about their quality of life and fighting for them all the different ways for their quality of life (laughs) and I think about Kara talks a lot about n equals one like you're your only you're the most valid subject for your own research. Mm-hmm. What works for you works for you. And it's not about what worked for other people. 
and having had so many PTs tell me like, this is how you rehab something and then have it not at all work for me and feel so desperate that it didn't work. Now I feel like when I sit with people, you know, I realize most of what you're doing is just saying, like, we're going to try like Julio teaches, like all the different ways in and out, <laughs> just mm-hmm. a million different ways. And we're not worried about what worked for other people or what it should like, or how long it should take, or these numbers or this timeline, because that's where you start to weaponize against yourself is thinking it has to look a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just really believing in people, like it, having someone believe in your ability to transform the situation. And so that has changed how I work with people one-on-one. It's just realizing that 90% of the job, like the tools are there, the body's there, that, that like 90% of it is breathing, which is just regulating your nervous system and believing in, even when they're not, like even when they are having those days where they they're like are losing the belief because that like the best thing you can do for someone is believe in them, you know, and advocate and get creative. Um, and then the other parts are easy. So then how that's showing up in like more public classes is I was thinking about, you know, um, something that my teacher talks a lot about with Julio Horvath, who created the gyrotonic system, who, you know, was in a lot of pain and has helped a lot of people get out of pain and was a beautiful, you know, dancer and, um, gymnast. And then is just a beautiful mover is that he's had like a 15 year love affair with the breath. Like after all that he's done physically in his life, um, he, you know, he sees it all through the lens of breath right now, which is fascinating because he helps people who do so much. So, and I think about Marlo and how much she emphasizes the breath and slowing down. So big things that have changed for me is just um, the breath, the environment. Like I think less about, you know, I think I used to put a lot into the phrase and the moves or like what we're doing. Now I think a lot more of um, the environment that we're creating around what we're learning, how we're breathing in it, how we make permission play. Um, I would say movement wise, I mean, there's little bits that changed, but as I'm teaching my floor flow class now, I just think a lot of it is, yeah, it's, it's more playful, softer, slower, deeper breathing, um, more play, more imagery. For me, imagery just helps so much. So, um, and I, I think I'm just less precious. Like I don't feel, I was taking a class recently and I, I just, um, I realized how, how quickly and easily it, it comes to just abandoned the plan. I like it just, you know, mm. um, I just don't, yeah. Um, yeah. I tried to prioritize the people in the room before, but I think that has shifted in the sense that again, that, that, that feeling that teaching is really just advocating and believing in someone, um, and finding, you know, trying all the different ways that are helping them uniquely figure out what works for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So that well, I think, and I think that that's like uh, what you and I have talked about, because I told you how much I was influenced by Shira talking about facilitating versus yeah. teaching. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, like when I hear you talk about it, it's like, it's like that step in the, into the place that of like more like facilitating. Yeah. 
yeah and like creating opportunities for people to learn as opposed to being like i'm going to tell you what what to learn well it's decentering the performance of teacher like you know i think that they're like you know what i mean i feel like there's i feel like there's less of a center on that i'm less into the you know dance can have a very formal way Mm -hmm. it presents and i just think the formality has gotten you know shifted to only where it is actually useful um Mm -hmm. And I think it, it has become more of a collaborative space. And I, I just spent more time people working with each other, more time in imagination, more time breathing, more time eyes closed, you know? And then, yeah, there's a phrase, but we spend more time on the phrase, like from the lens of, you know, if we get to a phrase, um, the different things we bring to it mm-hmm. uniquely. And yeah, yeah. So it's funny to do this because like we're friends and I would never, I feel like it's not how I would normally talk to you, but it's important because like you are teaching now and you're, and regularly. And, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes I don't think you believe me when I say it, but your class was like (laughs) one of my favorite classes I've gotten to take. And, uh, and I really think people need, I think people (laughs) should know how to like find you and take your classes. Um, so when and how and where, Okay. Um, oh boy. I am teaching at block 1750. I teach floor flow on Mondays at five and I teach a active flex, like a bastardized hybrid version of so many different things, um, mm-hmm. on Friday morning. So I, I learned a lot about, um, active flex and mobility and FRC and, gyrotonics. And I, back in the day used to teach yoga and was like a big formal yoga person for many years and but anyways it be, it's become sort of a living breathing um amalgamation of body care um and then I teach at gyrotonic Bodhi on um Mondays at 1 30 Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7 45 a.m if you like mornings <laughs> and 4 p.m on Fridays and then I do teach a bunch of privates um at gyrotonic Bodhi and a little bit online um So I do do privates um, and I also like happily refer people to a million directions because I really believe in, in, you know, finding the right thing for you. So there are some really great people that I've personally worked with that have done wonders. So if, you know, you have people who are in pain or having a hard time or you're stuck on a long-term injury project, like always really happy to share the goods because Samantha Emanuel helped me like. Uh, Mira Betts helped me. I had just so many people show up with resources and I think it's so important to share those. Um, so yes, you can come find me, but also just if you're trying to find something, like just know that I'm always happy to send you in all the directions, hoping you find a thing that works for you too. So how do people find you? Oh, they find me <laughs> on my website, <laughs> leaziadances.com or on Instagram. I think I'm just leazia. Um, and then I'm not trying to be on Facebook so much. I, I exist there, but trying to less and less. So, okay. Well, <laughs> I have, I have to say that like, you know, there have been a lot of like really great things that have come out of this year, hmm. um, for me and, and that I found really valuable and, and, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart that this friendship is something that has like come out of this year that like, I find really special. And, you know, you've influenced me in so many ways and we've gotten to have these amazing conversations 
And I just have so much love for you. And I have so much respect for everything that you do. And I don't know your, your, your willingness to like be there and, and, and share and be generous and be humble and wise, like all in the same moment. Like you're just somebody that I have so much love and respect for. So I'm excited to like continue this friendship. It just means so much to me. Thank you, Kyle. Completely mutual and back. I feel really, really lucky to have gotten to spend some some mornings with you outside and the early infinite play days. And um, yeah, I have been so fed by all that you're offering and all that you're creating. And you know that you are one of those people who in the in the dark times of the, you know, coming out the other side, you know, were willing to meet me in very cold weather to do, you know, work outside and to share your wisdom. And, you know, you pointed me in the direction of fighting monkey and having a good time learning a little bit of the zero form stuff. And um, yeah, just feel so very, very, very lucky that the world put us together on that lovely weekend at Gibney and then kept looping us back around. Feel like you were one of the very, very um, incredible gifts of that year. It was, um, yeah, I feel very much like life was like, let's make sure that happens, put these things in touch. So nothing but love and respect and admiration for what you're doing.